0: Good. Right. Are you ready for Christmas?
1: Barry's already asked the question. But how many times have you been asked this already this year? It's one of the most common things we get asked at this time of year. Typically the answer is by the state of our shopping. You know, say for presents or for food. But our society has turned Christmas into a consumer extravaganza. Too much food, too much to drink, and so many presents that earlier generations would have been left speechless. But if you can't answer with a yes to are you ready for Christmas, I've got some bad news for you. It seems most of the shops are shutting at four o'clock this afternoon, so you've got about four and a quarter, three quarter hours to get it finished off. But when we're looking at that, don't we have to admit that each of us has been infected by that same consumerism bug? If we're honest, how many of us will be looking at the bathroom scales early in the new year and thinking, better go on a diet? And how many of us, in our busyness tomorrow, making sure the turkeys cooked, the sprouts haven't turned to mush, the figs in blankets haven't incinerated, will find time to remember
0: Jesus' birth. And how many of us have used Advent as a time to tell somebody
1: else about Jesus? Now, we may well think things have gone downhill in the modern world, but... We really don't face anything in it that hasn't been around since that very first Christmas. And we can make the same responses that people did when Jesus was first born. Well, what were those responses? Well, firstly, some people were oblivious to what God was doing. Galatians 4, 4-5 tells us, When the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption of ch- as children. So what was that fullness of time? It was when God's preparation and God's plans came together. And one of the key players in that was Caesar Augustus. As Octavian, the adopted son of Julius Caesar, he had finally defeated the men who had assassinated Julius Caesar and brought peace to the Roman Empire, well, to the Roman Republic, as it was at that point, after decades of civil war. And he created the Roman Empire as, as, as a consequence. And this, this empire, provided the conditions that allowed for the spread of the gospel. Now, that is actually slightly bigger, the blue area was the Roman Empire, slightly bigger than Augustus's empire, because by the time Paul and Barnabas and Silas and Apollos and all the other early evangelists were traveling, more country, territory had been taken over, not least Britain.
0: But why did it provide
1: the conditions for, for the spread of the gospel? Well, there was relative ease of travel along good roads. And okay, that's a fairly tight map, but if you can see the red lines, well, they're quite clear. Those are major Roman roads. They were paved. They were drained they were maintained, and they were patrolled to make them secure. If you travelled by sea, the pirates that had infested the Mediterranean during the period of the Roman Republic had been wiped out. So you only had to worry about storm and wind and shipwreck, which is enough to be worrying about, besides, without being taken over by pirates. And on the roads, you had a good degree of security for travellers. There was no barrier to movement within the empire, well, at least if you weren't a slave. And there was a common language, Greek. Not Latin, mm-hmm. I think, but Greek was the one everyone used. But it was also Augustus that ordered the census that resulted in Jesus being born in Bethlehem rather than Nazareth. So Augustus
0: was a key, pl- a, a key player in Jesus' birth. But would he
1: have been aware of it? Of course not. Unless it was a political, a major political or military event, what happened in a small frontier province, miles away from Rome and the center of things, was just far below Augustus's notice. And even the ordinary Roman soldiers who were in Bethlehem for the census, looking after the people doing the registration, would have been focused on the job they had to do. And to be honest, they were soldiers, so probably when they get their next cup of wine, or amphora of wine, or however much they wanted to throw down their next, and they wouldn't have noticed the birth of one child in a crowded
0: town. But what about the people of
1: Bethlehem? Including all the visitors who were there for the census. Well, they wouldn't have been aware of the birth of a child either, most of them let alone what his significance was. And if they heard what happened from the shepherds as the shepherds were going back to their fields, as we read in Luke 2, 17 to 18, they may well have been amazed.
0: But what did they do about it? How
1: many let their normal, busy lives get in the way of encountering the newborn Messiah? just as we see so often today.
0: Then the second response.
1: Some opposed what God was doing. King Herod, for example, is why we had that reading earlier. He might not have known immediately about Jesus' birth. He was a king after all. Again, some peasant child being born in a town, not that far from Jerusalem, but it happened all the time. Nothing to worry him. But then what happened when the Magi arrived in Jerusalem looking for the new king in Matthew 2, 1-2? Herod didn't like what he heard. He had never been a popular king with the Jewish people. He was imposed on them by the Romans. They didn't see him as a proper Jew, and they wanted him gone. And Herod didn't feel secure on his throne. But seeking a permanent and violent solution to threats to his rule, was in his nature. He'd already murdered quite a lot of people, including half his own family, to make sure that his throne was secure and he wasn't going to get deposed. So Herod's response to being told there was a new king of the Jews born was to try to kill his supposed rival by having all the children under two in Bethlehem and its surrounds murdered, Matthew 2.16. And Jesus only survived because God wanted Joseph to flee to Egypt before Herod's men arrived. Now, over the years, it's been popular for a lot of people to deny that the massacre of the innocents, as it's known, actually happened, uh, because there's no evidence being found in historic documents or in in archaeology. But Bethlehem had a relatively small population, so there wouldn't have been too many children under two. I did some digging around, and a lot of estimates say maybe 25. Now, in a town of 300, if 25 children are massacred, you're going to know about it. And every one of those deaths was a tragedy for the family involved. But that many murders wouldn't even have registered with the aristocratic authors who wrote history in Jerusalem or in Rome. It was just below their
0: notice. But blatant
1: opposition to Jesus, like Herod's, is easy to spot. But did you see the other opposition in this part of Matthew's account? Herod called on the chief priests and scribes to find out where the Messiah was going to be born. In the passage we read, Matthew 2, 4-5. These were men who were supposed to keep the people of Israel close to God. The ones who taught the law who presented the sacrifices, who led the worship of God. They, like all the Jewish people, were supposed to be waiting and looking for the coming Messiah, God's chosen one. Yet here they are, faced
0: with evidence that the Messiah may well have come, and what did they do about it? Well, if they were really waiting for the Messiah
1: to come, Wouldn't they have been on the road to Bethlehem with the the Magi? Wouldn't they have wanted to see for themselves what was happening? But they didn't. They stayed in Jerusalem and carried us on as if nothing had happened. Why? Surely, because they enjoyed the power and prestige they had, and they were comfortable with that. They were satisfied in themselves. God stepping into the solution, no matter how much they claimed to worship him and obey him, would surely disturb their comfortable and privileged lives. They may even have had to change the way they lived, and they definitely didn't want anything to do with that. Later in Jesus' life, he again faced opposition from the religious rulers who wouldn't accept his teaching. The four Gospels show their opposition was driven by jealousy of his popularity. Political expediency looking out for their position among with the Romans, misunderstanding God's plan as it's laid down in Scripture, and anger at having their self righteousness challenged by Jesus. And eventually the Pharisees, the ones who obeyed the law to the nth degree, the Sadducees, who didn't believe in resurrection, but were mainly the priestly class, and the Herodians, who were a pro-Roman political group. So the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, all conspired together to have Jesus killed, despite their conflicting religious and political beliefs, and the rivalry that existed between them. And it was this conspiracy that led to Jesus' death on a Roman cross. A death that, although it was caused by a dark mix of sinful motives through through God's grace, fulfilled his plan to save us from the consequences of our sin and rebellion. So we've seen how many ignored or opposed what God was doing that first Christmas. But there were others who responded differently.
0: The ones who were obedient. The most obvious ones were Mary
1: and Joseph themselves. Now, Given the lax attitudes to marriage and sex in our culture, we miss the scandal and risk associated with their obedience. Mary was an unmarried mum-to-be. At the very least, she would have been shunned by many in the town of Nazareth. The rest of this. So she, risked, she would have been shunned, and she risked being stoned to death by her neighbours for adultery. The Romans did restrict capital punishment to them. They were the only ones allowed to uh, impose it. But they couldn't be everywhere to enforce it. Think how many times Jesus was nearly stoned during the gospel narratives. Or when he was nearly thrown off the cliff by his neighbours from Nazareth. For Joseph too. His reputation would be ruined by Mary's pregnancy. If the baby was his, he had broken God's law and therefore wasn't something that people wanted to associate with. If it wasn't his, then he'd been betrayed and shamed by his fiance. Neither showed him in a good light, and, they would, and it would have affected his future employment as a craftsman, far more than we can grasp in our, with our 21st century mindset and culture. But both of them were willing to take those risks to be obedient to God. And yet, though they could foresee some of the difficulties they, were, they could face, I doubt they could foresee the narrow escape of their child from death at the hands of Herod's, or them, the whole family becoming refugees in Egypt. And how could they foresee Mary's suffering as she watched her falsely condemned son exposed, shamed, in agony, dying on a cross some 33 years later? But they were willing to go where God led them no matter what it cost,
0: And Mary and Joseph weren't alone in obeying God.
1: But the shepherds, their sheep were their wealth. That was their capital and the source of their income. Yet when they heard the angel's message, they left their sheep unattended with all the risks of, that, of loss that that entailed, whether it was the wild animals, thieves, or just the sheep wandering off, to go and see God working. And then you have Simeon and Anna. Simeon had a specific promise from God that he would see the Messiah, Luke 2, 25 to 26. And Anna was also looking and waiting for the Messiah. Anna was in the right place at the right time. She had been waiting there, by the sounds of it, for the better part of 70 years for God to see God. And she only left it after she'd seen Jesus to go and proclaim the Messiah's arrival to the people who would listen. Simeon was led by the Holy Spirit to go to the temple on that specific occasion. And it was there that God fulfilled his promise to Simeon. And there that Simeon delivered the prophecy that God gave him in Luke 2, 34-35. This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and will be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. And a sword? Will pierce your own soul too. Now, it would have been easy for either of them not to go to the temple that day or to go a bit later. You know, Simeon got, said, got prompted to go to the temple and said, Well, in a minute, or I've just got to finish doing the washing up first or whatever. But if they had, they would have missed their opportunity to see God working. So I'm going to turn the question around now. Are we ready for Christmas. Not, have you got the turkey? Have you got the presents? Are they all wrapped? Is the the house decorated? Have you locked the door so so your family can't descend on you or whatever it is you want to do for Christmas? But are we really ready for Christmas? The world that Jesus was born into wasn't that different to ours. Now, you might think that's a slightly strange thing to say because our technology, when it works, is way different to what they had. Yes, it is. But the human heart, our motivations, our desires, remain the same as they were then. We face the same pressures to conform, to be like everybody else in our society. We face the same temptations and sinful desires. And the degree to which we indulge them as a society is very much the same as the world then. Most people in the world today are oblivious to the work of Jesus. His name for them is just a convenient swear word. People have even protested, and I think it was last year I heard this, that the church is, quotes, trying to muscle in on Christmas and make it religious. You might think it's funny, but someone actually said that and managed to get get onto national radio to say it. Makes me wonder about education nowadays. But other people go beyond seeing Jesus as irrelevant and actively persecute his followers. Open Doors estimate that this year, 360 million Christians suffer high levels of persecution and discrimination for their faith. That's one in seven believers. But we shouldn't be surprised at this. Jesus made it clear his followers would suffer the same sort of opposition and persecution that he got. If we're his disciples, we're no longer part of the world. We should be motivated by God's love and not self-interest. We should be putting others before
0: ourselves. And living that way, God's way, will make other
1: people uncomfortable because they don't. And because those who don't follow Jesus are trapped in Satan's snares, that leads to persecution. Are we ready to face that? Can we do what the apostles did when they were flogged for teaching in the name of Jesus by the Jewish council? In Acts 5, 41-42, it says, When they left the council, no doubt with their backs still bleeding and sore under their tunics, they rejoiced because they were considered worthy to suffer dishonor the name, i.e. Jesus. And every day in the temple and at home, they didn't cease to teach and proclaim Jesus as Messiah. A little whipping didn't put
0: them off. The fact that so many people
1: today still don't know about the true meaning of Christmas, about Jesus, his death and his resurrection, that they don't see him as relevant, is something that should give us all pause. Are we being the obedient, faithful servants of Jesus that we should be? Are we taking up our cross daily and following Jesus, as he called us to in Luke 9.23? Do we give witnessing the priority that Jesus gave it? Think about when he traveled from Jerusalem back to Galilee in John 4. It says, he had to go through Samaria. Well, let's be clear. No, he didn't. Not physically. There were other routes. The routes that the typical respectable Jew of his day would have taken that went around Samaria rather than have any contact with them. But Jesus had an appointment to talk to the Samaritan woman at the well in Sychar. So yes, he did have to go even when no respectable Jew would, would go. Romans 10, 14 to 16 <clears throat> says, How are they to call on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him?
0: And how are they to proclaim him unless they are sent? Well, let's be clear. Each one of us has
1: been sent by Jesus himself. It's not down to the professionals like Barry or to those who have a gift of speaking, either to a a large group or to individuals. The Great Commission to go and witness and make disciples applies to the whole church. That means each one of us has a part to play in reaching the world.
0: And if we don't, if I don't, if you don't, who will reach that person? You may only know one Christian, which is you or me.
1: And we each have tasks to do for God to support his plan to reach the world. Things he's called us to do. Things he's equipped us for and put us in his church for. It may be making coffee for uh, afterwards. Leading an activity in the church. Praying. Offering hospitality. Or something else. But whatever your task is, You should do it willingly and to the best of your ability. Romans 12, 4-8 says, For as in one body we have many members, talking about the physical body, not all the members have the same function. Your toe isn't a hand, it's not an eye or an ear. So we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given us. Prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, The teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. What
0: is your gift? What is your task? Are you fulfilling it?
1: That first Christmas, Jesus came into the world to show the practical love of God. The love that sought to save us from the punishment we had earned by our sin. We celebrate Christmas not because of the baby Jesus per se, but because of the man Jesus the baby grew into. The perfect man, the Son of God, with no sin of his own, who took our sins on himself as he died on the cross. The one that bore the whole wrath of God that should have been poured on us. The one who was raised to life again on the third day to prove that his task was complete. If you've accepted Jesus as Lord, let's show it by living in full obedience to him day by day. Let's show his love practically to those around us. And in that way, we'll be ready for Christmas. Not just tomorrow, but every day, until he comes again. And hopefully we hear him say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. And if you haven't accepted Jesus as Lord, today is the day to make that decision. Don't think he isn't relevant to you, that you don't need him because you've lived the good life, or you give to charity, or you come to church regularly. Think about the Pharisees in Jesus' time. They tried to get right with God by obeying every detail of the law, and then some, because they built a boundary around it with their own traditions. And they were meticulous in that obedience, even to the extent of tithing the herbs that came out of their gardens. Yeah, what did Jesus say about them? Even this level of righteousness isn't enough. Matthew 5.20 So I tell you, he said, speaking to his disciples, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So today... If God is calling you, don't resist Him. Don't ignore Him. Like so many people did that first at Christmas. Repent. Turn away from the way you've been living. From depending on your own ideas about what is good. And put yourself in Jesus' hands. It's then you'll receive the hope, the joy, the peace that we've been talking about through Advent. Jesus is the only way you can experience the love of God, a love that will transform you and change your life. And If you invite Jesus into your life, you will truly be ready for Christmas. Tomorrow can be the best Christmas you've ever had. You can celebrate Jesus' birth with him, knowing him, being part of his family, and having him in your heart forever. Let's just spend a few moments to consider what God's been saying to each one
0: of us through this this short word.